0: Seeing by Moonlight, a novel by M. F. Thomas and Nicholas Thurkettle, read by Thomas Viborg Thune. Purchase a copy of Seeing by Moonlight, visit Amazon or any online bookstore. Victor, Thursday, September 28th, 1939 The woman stopped in the path, not for a person or an obstruction, but simply to tilt her head back and let the warmth of the sun wash over her face. She smiled contentedly. Look at her, urged Victor in a low voice. He and Carl were loitering under the shade of a tree, jackets off, Carl picking idly at the bark. Karl made the turn look like an effort, even though he only went halfway, praising the woman from the corner of his eye as he pretended to be simply taken in the grand north wall of the main building. the technical college of Berlin no longer used the world royal in front of it, but the main building still looked like a palace with arches and columns and old stone conveying a distinctly German. Majesty. Carl only sniffed. What? I see a woman, nothing special. That face, see how round and fine it is. If you walk five minutes down the street with me, I shall show you five rounder and finer. You are wrong, my friend. Carl, having seen all he cared to, returned to the matter of the tree bark. She would... Barely count as an Aryan, I tell you. Victor overlooked the remark. The qualifications his friends used to describe who in their surroundings was or was not an Aryan were so changeable and contradictory that he thought it best not to participate. It was for others to decide. I think she looks like Frida. This Carl took True offense. Victor had to admit that, though he felt it true, this had been a goal of speaking it. Frida, Carl started, do not drag her down from the heavens to compare to that commoner. I tell you, Victor gathered his books and stood, I am going to talk to her, and we shall walk this way and you will look more closely at her. Then, tonight, we will see Frida, and you will tell me I was correct. Carl, as he often did, took a paternal tone with Victor, despite the fact that he was a full six months younger. I think this foolishness is what makes you a poor scientist. You would do better in class if you were not always going delirious over every pretty face. Victor grinned. You have confessed she is pretty. I am already winning the argument. Before he could depart, Karl gave a low whistle and waved him back. What room are we in tonight, Herr Victor? Victor scrambled in his armful of possessions for a pen, reached out with his right hand and scribbled a location on the back of an envelope. Karl held. Karl studied it. She will never be yours, Victor. You have terrible penmanship. Victor jogged towards the woman even as she entered her break in the sunlight and started to cross the street. He realized, foolishly, that they were about to meet in the dead center of the road, but saw no way to change this and still keep to his plan. So, with fearless foolishness, he reached her, spun around, and fell into step right alongside her. Her dress was sleeveless but modestly long, and she wore her hair in the short, wavy fashion that was still popular. She was looking at the ground, and it seemed at first as though she would not respond to his appearance. Victor at last realized he could not get away with simply grinning. "'Good morning, Fraulein!' She did not look up. Good morning. I could not help but see you enjoying the beautiful day. The sun is kind. This remark nearly caused Victor to trip on the curb as they passed by Carl's vantage point. He stole a look at his friend, who, if he reacted at all, simply frowned more. Victor had never heard anyone describe the sun as kind and he enjoyed that. She had only needed six words to surprise him. You are a student here? He made a question out of it only at the last second, and clumsily at that. Well, I am not a soldier. Victor grinned. Neither am I. I am studying to be a scientist. But you will join the Wehrmacht, will you not, when your fatherland needs you? Victor grimaced that the conversation had to be political, but he did not detect contempt in her. Like the son she described, she seemed kind. "'I suppose if I finish my courses and our security is still threatened, anyone would, wouldn't they? Now, please, I have answered a serious question, and for that you owe me the courtesy of answering a serious question of mine.' The woman's grip on her books seemed to loosen just slightly. Ask, brave son of Germany. Do you like motion pictures? She gave a helpless little giggle. Yes, yes I do. I like the ones with dancing and top hats, where everything glitters. And so many thousands of things glittering. "'Tonight there will be a motion picture playing here at the school.' "'At last she turned her head to look at him, "'and he tried feverishly to wish away the sleepless puffiness under his eyes. "'The hours passed since his last shave, "'all while meeting her with a carefree grin. "'I have not heard of this happening,' she protested. "'Victor swelled. "'It's a secret. The movie has been banned.' but we have acquired a copy. It is an amazing film about... She cut him off. You have tricked me with the friendliness in your face. You want only to drag me into scandal. And yet she still walked beside him, and her eyes fluttered in a kidding way. Scandal? No! It's a film of great educational value. Which has nonetheless been banned, No brave son of Germany, I am afraid tonight I must do real studies. And with a hastening tap on the sidewalk, she sped up and separated from him. He watched her go and felt a small sweet ache. Then she stopped and turned. But on another night, when I am free from my studies, I might allow you to take me into town for a movie but it must have no educational value. Only top hats, Fräulein, on my honour. Then I will hope for peace, so the Wehrmacht will not steal you away too quickly and make you break your word. Good day. Victor could feel the smile on his face grow wider, and his skin was deliciously hot. The sun was indeed kind. Victor worked quickly while he had the room to himself, carefully describing the important variables in a proposed metallurgical problem and applying the proper equations to make a recommendation for the ideal mixture. It was plodding work, and he knew many of his classmates found it dull, but he had always felt a certain joy at this sort of collating the work went more quickly as he scribbled with his left hand. When he first came to the college, he had started using his right hand in public. He had some experience with it from various efforts to train the left-handedness out of him over the years. If pressed, he would have admitted that there was no logical reason to hide such a detail. The hand one used to write was not one of the ways in which it was currently frowned upon to be different. But he had watched skilled, even brilliant members of the faculty lose their jobs due to suspicions and innuendos and not seen the logic in that either. So he chose to continue the subterfuge. The radio was boasting of the latest progress against the Polish radicals and their enablers in the government. Their assault on Gleiwitz had been so senseless, so awful. He did not understand why the world could not just leave Germany alone, after all the suffering it had already endured, a lost generation only just finding its feet again. He thought about the woman. The woman! And what she had said about the Wehrmacht. It had seemed like such a natural outcome to him. Germany had given him so much so why should he not give a short time of his life to protect it and better himself in the process? Victor was not one of the shining minds in his class, and he knew it. It might be that as a soldier he could offer the best he had in him to the world. And while his smarter classmates bent their backs hunched over papers for the rest of their lives, his modest life might be the happier. Perhaps a woman like this one would appreciate it. He would be the one around to take her to the pictures, maybe. He surprised himself with how much time he wasted in this idyll. Soon, though, he was back to his equations, calculating swiftly, methodically, approaching the answer, while the sun kept beaming and a bird made music somewhere outside. The class had a harmonious drone, the professor's flat recitations merging with the buzz of the electric fan. Metallurgy was not his passion, nor that of most of his students, who saw themselves as the engineers of great cities or the designers of airplanes and weapons. The class was pedestrian to them, a duty, and attended in this way but Victor had always found great satisfaction in that duty. It was not that he took particular pleasure in duty for its own sake. He had seen a few of his friends develop that fevered sense of loyalty for the Hitlerjugend. And he didn't see himself like that. He even worried sometimes that such passionate patriotism might be missing in him. But in these questions of heat and alloys he found a strange comfort. With enough data and testing, there could be an answer, unlike so many of the problems he encountered outside the classroom. The door behind them opened, and whoever entered froze the professor mid-sentence. This was more than enough to turn the head of every student towards the young man, now striding to the front at an impatient pace, flanked by two military officers. Asserting his last moment of control over the room, the professor raised his voice to the tone he usually only used in advanced physics to courses. Gentlemen, you are about to hear from one of the finest scientists and Germans it has ever been my privilege to teach. You will attend him better than you attend me. And at the mention of science, Victor suddenly recognized the man. Not yet thirty, but authoritative his aristocratic features complementing a broad frame. This was Werner von Braun, the genius and the envy of most of the students in the room. Since it was whispered, he worked at the art that had been forbidden in Germany for so many years, rocketry. Flanked by the officers, von Braun stood crisp and proud, hands behind his back and spoke. My name is Werner von Braun. Germany has given me a very special mission, and for it I need bright young scientists. You will be serving your country, yes, but further you will be serving humanity, and a vision that is bigger than Germany. I studied under the great Oberth, and to this day I still learn from him. Our mission is no less than the realization of the dream he has chased since before the Great War, the creation of rockets that will fly into the vast dark fabric beyond the earth. He paused as many breaths caught themselves. I will expect genius of you and great dedication. You will leave your studies here, leave your homes and your family. The assignment will last years, its details will remain secret, perhaps for the duration of your lives, and will be pursued under conditions of great danger. By accepting, you will make yourself a target for every nation that fears the progress of Germany. As if anticipating the moment, one of the officers presented a folder to von Braun. I need five. And your professor had made five recommendations to me. Han, a young man near the front sprang to his feet and saluted. Heil Hitler! Von Braun smiled. A simple present will suffice. Kunze, Scherer, Lehrer, and with each name another student rose and announced himself, chest thrust forward with pride. Fiedler! This time no one rose. There was a nervous shuffle in the room. Wendell Fiedler? After a few seconds more, von Braun grinned. Well, Mr. Fiedler will be most astounded at what he missed by skipping class today. And this leads me to ask, have we any volunteers? Victor was the first man to his feet. He stood, in fact, faster than he could understand why he was doing so. Others took to their feet as well, some saluting, some crowing their names, but von Braun had seen Victor's move and tilted his head towards the old professor. The old man approached, and they exchanged a murmur. Every inch of the professor's body language conveyed that he had no opinion, and possibly no knowledge of this very average student seated near the back. Von Braun spoke. What's your name, young man? And the way he said it left no doubt to whom he was speaking. Victor, uh, Zweig, Victor Zweig. Von Braun focused intently on him, and Victor felt his legs tremble. Tell me, Herr Victor, do you dream about the moon? Victor's eyes gave the answer. There was great scuffling and giggling in the dark as they hung the bedsheets over the blackboard, messing the chalk of an equation. That would cause a fuzzy old professor fits in the morning. The classroom was away from any outside windows, but still they kept the lights out and covered the glass of the door. Every few minutes a soft knock would signal the arrival of more conspirators. Then Schaefer appeared, tall, quiet, ever-resourceful Schaefer. He carried the projector while two friends trailed behind with the film canisters he had procured. More than a few drops of spirits were consumed. The job of threading the projector, tasked so many great minds laboring in the dark, produced extended and destructive merriment. Victor sat quietly through most of it. Reserving a good viewing spot for himself. He had been thinking about this moment for weeks, and yet today had produced so many other surprises. Sensing his thoughts, Carl slapped his arm teasingly. What is it, Victor, already working on one of your secret assignments for von Braun? Victor cast his eyes down. I do not know what came over me. There are twenty in that classroom more qualified. I'm sure the professor told him so. Carl swigged brandy from a small flask. You do not need to explain yourself. He paused importantly. Herr Victor, on the way over I looked to the sky, and I saw a full moon. It has stirred the strangeness in your blood, so you have acted out all day. But fear not, we have your succor here. He sat down clumsily next to Victor and the projectors chattered to life, and all the talk in the room gave way to a reverent silence. This was the movie every student in the department had seen ten times or more as children, the movie that had been banned for showing what was forbidden for Germans to see. It was the work of their idol, Oberth, the epic Woman in the Moon by the genius Fritz Lang the movie that showed rockets, German-made rockets, carrying explorers out to the moon. Though the movie was ten years old and had no sound, its ideas, Oberth's ideas, were so far ahead that scientists were still catching up to him. They did not need to wait long to see Frida. Frida the Dazzling, with her blonde curls and elegant oval face, that passionate woman, the one who would give up her place on the rocket home and stay forever on the dark side of the moon just to be with her true love. Victor always struggled to understand the rockets. No one needed to explain Frida to him. But just as the great mission was launching, the classroom door burst open and men in dark coats filed in, blocking the exit from all the students suddenly hiding their faces. a final man entered, light from the projector glinting off his SS insignia. He let the students cower for a moment, feeding himself a morsel of cruelty. Finally he spoke. Victor Zweig! The great rocket was silently climbing through the atmosphere on the bedsheet. Victor stood and stepped forward. Sir, we greatly apologize for this transgression. I freely take responsibility for planning it and coercing my fellow students. The SS man waved him off. I care not. Silent films. Pah! I'm here to bring you to von Braun's project. Victor felt a trembling in his legs again. But I... right now? Yes, right now. Impatience came quickly with the uniform. I have some things in my room. Everything you require has already been collected. We must be at the train station very soon, and your foolishness has already delayed me. You will come now. Victor turned to Karl. And suddenly wondered if Carl was truly the best friend he had in the world, and if so, how to say goodbye to him in five seconds. Carl, I, Carl was equally agape and even seemed angered. Catch your train, Victor. And so Victor walked out of the classroom, out of the building and out of his former life. Purchase a copy of Seeing by Moonlight, visit Amazon or any online bookstore. Seeing by Moonlight A novel by M. F. Thomas and Nicholas Thurkettle Read by Thomas Viborg Thune